Andy may have um, scared some of you there when he said we're in week seven of this series because you're like, seriously? I've just, this is my first Sunday here and I'm like halfway, it's like tuning into a, um, a crime show and it's already like two thirds of the way through the season. You're like, how am I ever going to know what's going on? Well, here at Connect, we, we use these series to kind of give us some um, structure for what we want to talk about. But each week is a standalone message. So we've been talking for, for seven weeks now. In fact, some of you who have been here for seven weeks are like, it feels like forever. Are we ever going to stop talking about this. But we've been talking about this idea of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Because we use the word Christian a lot, don't we? I'm a Christian, they're a Christian, and my dad's a Christian, you know. And, and we tend to think, well, the reason they're a Christian is because they were um, born in this place, grew up in this country, they go to that church on Sundays. And, and sometimes the word Christian can be a little bit misunderstood. So we like the phrase here at Connect, follower of Jesus, We feel like it gives kind of more of an action to the verb, you know, that someone is following Jesus, that that as Jesus moves, that the person is following them, that their life is changing as a result of following them. So we've been talking about this idea over the last six or seven weeks about what it looks like to follow Jesus. So a little over 20 years ago, um, I uh, married Casey Brewer, who is now Casey Jane. Uh, It was somewhere between 20 and 25 years ago, roughly. I mean, somewhere, 22, 20, yeah. So we, uh, we got married. It's fantastic. remember it very well. And um, we chose at that point, Kay said, I want to I wanna follow God's plan for your life. I want to be a part of your life. And I said to Kay, I want to follow God's plan for your life. And, and together we made this commitment to follow one another and to be a part of each other's lives. It's a great thing, and many of you have similar stories you can tell about a time where you made that decision to follow someone else and to be a part of their lives. But isn't it true that sometimes you, you kind of make that decision, and then as, as life goes on, you're like, oh, I, I wasn't expecting that, or oh, that, that's kind of a little uh, out of the ordinary. I wasn't really planning on that. And, and that kind of happened with Case and I when it came to our family vacations. Okay, so family vacations, because unfortunately, Casey didn't really fully understand uh, the concept of vacations. You know, I mean, she had this kind of crazy view that when you go on vacation, you do nothing, lay on a beach, you know, relax. <laughs> so silly. Obviously, when you're on vacation, you've got to see and do a lot of new stuff. I mean, you're going to a brand new place you've never been before. So there's a lot to see and do. So I remember one vacation in particular. Uh, the kids were young. We went to Disney World. And I know many of you have made that uh, trek down to Florida or California to see the mouse. Uh, so we did that. We, we, we got some uh, uh, great tickets. We went down there. And of course, you know, you don't just show up at Disney. I mean, you research hard. You, you get online beforehand. You read the books. You do all that. Oh, look, there's, there's the picture. That's, that's me and the kids. I mean, I was really hardcore. I was really excited about being down there in Disney. <laughs> so you read up. You figure out the order you're going to go. You know, so that first morning of vacation when we were in our um, hotel room there in Orlando and the alarm went off at six o'clock. Casey said, said, alarms shouldn't go off at six o'clock on vacation. I said, Casey, they do in Florida (laughs) because this is Disney. This is how we vacation. We got things to do. We got things to see. So we need to be at the place when the rope drops because I got a plan. And the kid's are like, Dad, can we ride this? No, because we've got a plan. There's a schedule. We've got to get here. There's a fast pass we've got to get. You know, we've got to move here. And if there's time later, we'll have some lunch. But otherwise, we've got to keep moving here. And you move pretty fast-paced around Disney. You know, and you see these crazy stories we haven't planned. And you're like, you've got no idea. You're going to miss so many rides, but not me. And I'm just zipping and zipping. And I think at that point, Casey probably thought, you know what? I'm not so sure that this is the kind of vacation schedule I signed up for. I'm not so sure. This is the guy I want to follow. 
but <laughs> tough. She's still here. So, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes when it comes to following, even when it comes to following Jesus, we can have this, this idealistic idea. We had some wonderful stories today of young people and, and older people who said, I want to be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. And I love that. And do you know what? One of the things we've learned in this series is that Jesus made it super easy. He met the most unlikely of people, a guy called Matthew, who was a tax collector, a guy called Peter, who was a fisherman. I mean, these were kind of the outcasts of the day. These were the, the people who, who the religious leaders kind of looked over because they wouldn't assume that this person could be someone that could, could follow a religious leader. And yet Jesus stopped by Matthew, the tax collector's table. He said, hey, follow me. Do you know what he didn't say? He didn't say, hey, clean up your act. Stop, selling tax, stop doing these taxes. Stop cheating people. Stop doing this. Stop. You know, he didn't list a whole bunch of things. He didn't say, hey, you've got three weeks to clean up your life, and then when I come back, then I might let you follow me. No, Jesus simply said to Matthew, follow me. I think Jesus is saying that to a lot of us this morning. Follow me. I want you to follow me. I want you to have a relationship with me. And maybe the obstacle for you is you felt like, well, I need to do this, and I need to get better at this, and I need to learn more and understand more. Do you know, some of the first disciples had no idea who Jesus even was. There was a guy called Thomas. Do you know his nickname was? Doubting Thomas. Three years later, he still didn't fully understand who Jesus was. So Jesus is making it super simple. He wants us just to follow him. And what I think we'd have discovered is we could go, if we could go back in time and talk to Matthew... Is he tell us, you know, I remember the day. Jesus said, follow me, and I decided to follow him. And he took us to some amazing places, and we saw some incredible things happen. He taught us some amazing things about God that we'd never heard before. And one day, one day I found myself looking in the mirror, and I didn't recognize the guy looking back at me. Because as I'd been following Jesus, so my life was being transformed. My life was being changed. I was becoming more like Jesus. And many people here this morning who have made that decision to follow Jesus could tell you the same story. How much their life has changed over the years as they've made that commitment to follow Jesus. And I've got to be honest with you this morning. Maybe you're here as a friend or a family member because someone you love, someone you're related to got baptized. If they could each come up here and speak right now, every one of them would say, you know, I'm thrilled that I was able to get baptized. But I'd love for you to know the Jesus that I know. I'd love for you to follow the Jesus that I follow. That's our desire here at Connect, is that, that all would come to know the Jesus that we've come to know. But I'd be lying if I wasn't um, up front with you this morning to say that as you follow Jesus, there may come a time where you start to learn some things and discover, wow, this, this is a little bit different than what I expected. This, this is a bit of a challenge. And we're actually going to look this morning at a story of of something that happened to one of the disciples where where he really kind of felt like this was the direction Jesus should be going. And Jesus wasn't going in that direction. There was this kind of tension where where he was kind of pulling one way and Jesus was pulling the other. And there came this time where, where following Jesus for this person was difficult. Because like Casey's realization in Disney World that our vacations were going in a different direction than anticipated, this disciple realized, wow, Jesus is, is actually moving here in a different direction than I anticipated. So I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about this, this story of this disciple. Some of you may know about it. Some, it might be the first time. So we learn about uh, the situation first um, 
There are four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew tells us in Matthew 26, he starts out Matthew 26, verse 6. He says, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume. And she poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money could have been given to the poor. Now this account here, this story is an amazing story and I would love to spend more time talking just about this incident this morning. But I'm not going to talk about this specific occurrence. But what I do want to talk about is what this triggered. You see, you need to know about this lady breaking this jar of very expensive perfume. You need to know that she, she was wanting to bless Jesus because it actually triggered a chain of events that we're going to learn about this morning. Now, like I said, you may not realize this, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all give us different accounts of the life of Jesus. And each one of them, as they're writing these accounts, they're speaking to a different audience. And I say that to explain why right now we're going to jump to John here in just a second because John picks up on something about this story that Matthew didn't put in there. And you might be here this morning you think, well, that's what I don't understand in the Bible. Why, why is it here? Why is it different here and different here? Well, it's not different. It's just there's, there's some things that are mentioned in one that aren't mentioned in another. And it's because they were around different audiences. I mean, think about it. I was thinking about this as I was preparing my message. So I grew up in a, uh, a little place called England, okay? And uh, I can remember as a kid in England, you know, some of the, the good memories. I'm sure you have those memories growing up of that favorite place you went in the summer or that favorite restaurant you used to go to. So for me, it was the Happy Eater. Uh, that was a great place to go was the Happy Eater. Um, so I would go there sometimes, my family, the Happy Eater, and we'd have lunch. Uh, one of my favorite meals to have was sausage, egg, and chips, uh, drink a lilt, and uh, maybe some sticky toffee pudding for dessert, okay? See, already I've lost most of you, right? I know I'm saying words here that mean nothing to you because you speak another language, all of you, okay? You, you speak like English butchered. But um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me to go into all this detail with you this morning, talking about lilts and chips and sticky toffee pudding, you might be thinking, what? So I'm just going to say we would stop for lunch on the way somewhere and then I'll carry on. Okay, because you don't need to know about this. Now, if I'm telling my friends back at home and I mention sticky toffee pudding, all of them are like, oh, yeah, sticky toffee pudding. Do you have some custard? You know, because instantly they're, they're thinking about that as a, one of their favorite desserts. And that's what's happening here with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As they write their, their accounts of the life of Jesus, some of them, because they knew who they were writing to, they were like, okay, you need to understand this. So I say all that to say, that's why we're going to jump real quick to John and listen to his version of what happened with this lady with the jar. All right, John. John chapter 12, verse 4 through 6. But one of his disciples, now remember, Matthew said all the disciples were indignant. John says one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to keep himself, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So for whatever reason, as John's writing to his audience, he feels it's important to know, no, it wasn't just the disciples as a whole that were indignant. And maybe they were, because Matthew says that. But John needs to know, no, 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 there was one in particular that this really frustrated there was one disciple in particular who, when he saw that jar of expensive oil being broken and wasted like that, he was furious. 
And John wants to make sure that we understand why he was furious. I mean, maybe John, as the keeper of the money, was a frugal guy. Maybe he was just saying, hey, you know, we could have sold that. We could have done so much more with that. I've done this Dave Ramsey class, and, and I know how, how to budget, you know, and let me tell you how many extra jars we could have bought with interest on the jar we sold. But John's like, no, this wasn't out of any frugality or any, you know, uh, desire to look after the money. This was because he was a thief. So now we'll jump back to Matthew because we're going to continue on in Matthew's account. So Matthew, in 26, carries on. After this jar was broken, after this happened, it turns out this was the final straw because it says that one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priest and he asks, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver and from then on Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. So for thousands of years, people have been reading this account thinking, why, Judas, why would you do that? You were one of the 12. You were one of the closest people to Jesus. Why would you betray him? And the Bible doesn't tell us. Clearly, the Bible doesn't ever say, and this is why Judas did it. So we're left looking at this. And we're going to look at that in a second because I've got a theory as to why I think he did it. But before we do, just a couple of things about the verse we just read because I think it's kind of crazy. First off, you might be thinking, well... Why is he even telling these people about where Jesus is, how he'll help them? Jesus was the biggest deal in that time. I mean, you want to find Jesus? It's easy. You just find the biggest crowd in town, and he'll be right at the middle of it. So why does Judas need to to partner with them to help find the, the most important, the most famous person in town? Well, it's because that's the problem the Pharisees had. The only time they ever knew about Jesus when he was right there in the center of everything that was going on. So they had this desire to arrest him. But in order to arrest him, they would have had to have come up to this crowd and, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, sorry, sorry, excuse me, excuse me. Have you been to one of those concerts where you have to stand near the front and you leave and you have to come back and you're like, excuse me, excuse me, I'm just going to get up. They would have had to get all the way around, excuse me, sorry, sorry, pardon me. Okay, Jesus, you're under arrest. Come with us. Sorry, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, we got to go. It would have been a riot. It would have been chaos. So Judas was saying, hey, I can get you to him when there's no one else around. I can let you know when he's going to be alone and there'll be no one there. Maybe, maybe like in a garden one night when he's praying, I can get you to Jesus. So that's why he's willing. That's, that's why he's willing to take this money for that. But I just don't understand how he thought he was going to get away with it. I want to say Judas. Judas, you were there in the boat with Jesus when he was asleep and the storm came up and the disciples were terrified because you all thought you were going to die. And you woke up Jesus and he stood up and he calmed the waves. Do you remember that, Judas? Do you remember that one time where um, this guy Lazarus had died and everyone was crying and everyone was upset and we went to the grave and, and Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And this guy had been dead for three days, came out. And I think the only reason that he shouted, Lazarus, come out, is because if he just shouted, come out, all of the dead would have come out. So he had to be specific. It was just Lazarus who was being called out. Do you remember that, Judas? Do you really think that you're going to be able to secretly fool this guy? Betray him without him knowing? He calmed the storm. He raised the dead. And you're trying to, you know, secretly betray him? But that was Judas' plan. So why would he try something so preposterous? 
I think, and again, this is what I think. I think he started to see that, that where Jesus was going wasn't where he wanted to go. That Jesus had a plan that, that following Jesus, it didn't seem like the right direction. Judas wanted him to be going this direction. And, and there was this tension as, as Jesus' will and Judas' will was being pulled at. And I think ultimately Judas didn't want to follow where Jesus was leading. He didn't want to follow where Jesus was leading. So let me be clear. Nowhere in the Bible does it explain why Jesus, or sorry, why Judas betrayed Jesus. But I want to share an idea that I heard taught on once, and I want to share it with you this morning as to maybe why Judas betrayed Jesus. And I'll let you in on a little secret. I, I was pretty much done with my message this week, and I was gone this past week. I was actually down in Tennessee. I'm doing a master's degree right now in um, Christian ministries. And the class I was in this week, I go down there twice a year down to Tennessee, and the class I was in this week was New Testament studies. So I'm almost done with my message, and I've got this thought that I'm preparing to share with all of you this morning. And, and I thought, I'm going to ask my professor, am I way off on this? And I'm like, I hope he says no. Because if he says yes, i got nothing else for Sunday. So I really hope. So I shared with him my thoughts. He says, yeah, I think, I think that's a good thought. I think that very well could be the case. So fortunately, you're getting uh, message number one this morning and not the, uh, the backup. So let me share my idea. So Jesus, he was the Messiah. You might have heard that word used before, him, uh, before about him or the Christ. That's the same word in Hebrew and, and Greek, Messiah, Christ. And it literally means anointed one. And this is a person that for hundreds of years, these people had been waiting upon. There was this expectation. The Jews had gone from this, this great time of um, their kingdom, and they'd seen it go down, and now they're slaves to Rome. And, and they just had this, this belief that one day, the prophets had proclaimed that this Messiah would come, this person would come, and he would set them free. I was trying to think of a modern day example and the only one I could think of was like Star Wars. If you've watched the Star Wars movies, okay, and Luke Skywalker, it all hinges around his story and how he's the, the chosen one. He's the one who's going to rescue the um, people. The, he becomes this Jedi Knight. I really don't know enough about Star Wars. I'm treading into very dangerous territory here because I know there are some of you going, no, 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 Dave, that's not exactly what happened. So, but if you've watched any of the movies, okay, you might know that there was that kind of expectation that, that Luke might be the person. Well, that was what was happening here in New Testament times. There was this expectation that this Messiah was coming. And Jesus was starting to use some language. He was starting to, to say some things that was indicating that he actually very well could be this Messiah that they were all expecting. That he would be the one to set them free from their, their tyrannous oppressors, the Romans. And towards the end of his time, I think the disciples are starting to get this. They're starting to realize he just might be the one. He just might be the one. We're, we're coming towards the end here, the final chapter, the season finale. We know that they were ready. Peter was ready. If you read about the account in the, the garden right before Jesus was arrested, it says that Peter had a sword. He pulled it out, and, and he tried to attack people as they came to arrest Jesus because he was ready for a fight. As far as Peter was concerned, Jesus was the one who was going to set them free. I think that Jesus, were, the disciples were picturing Jesus about ready to paint this blue stripe across his face and stand before them all and just cry, freedom! That's who the disciples were expecting and they were following Jesus and the momentum was building, the excitement was building. But here was the problem. 
They'd got part of the story right, but not all of the story. Here were the two things that Judas missed. Number one was Jesus' true plan. And number two was the Pharisees' actual plan. You see, Jesus' true plan was, always has been, and is to set the people free. They got that part right. That was his plan all along. That was the plan for the Messiah to, to rescue them, to set them free. But Jesus was doing it in a way that they didn't fully expect. The way that Jesus set not only them, but even us today free was by dying. He gave up his life. We, we saw the symbolism of that this morning. He went down into the grave. He came back up again. And because he conquered death, every one of us are free from the greatest enemy we will ever face, death. And Jesus set the Jews of the New Testament, the Gentiles of the New Testament, and the citizens of Washington 2,000 years later, all of us free in one go. That was always the plan of the Messiah. It wasn't to overthrow the Romans. The second error that Judas made, I believe, is he didn't fully understand the plan of the Pharisees. So here's, here's what I believe happened. And we'll read the verses here together to kind of show how I came to this. Matthew 27, the next chapter, verse 1. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people, they made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, they led him away, and they handed over him to Pilate, the governor. You see, these Jewish leaders, they had no authority to execute Jesus. That just wasn't allowed. It wasn't part of their religion. It wasn't even part of the law. So they couldn't do this. So I think what Judas thought was, if I can have him turned over to these religious leaders, it'll speed everything up. I'm fed up of him keep talking about this Messiah thing, but moving so slowly. And, and that whole thing with the money, we could have got so much money, we could have put it in the war chest ready for this final battle that's coming soon. And Jesus lets her break the jar. And I've had enough. He's not moving at the right speed. He's taking too long. I, I need to pull things into my own hands here. I'm going to have him arrested by the Pharisees. And then he'll have to stand up. He'll have to declare that he's the Messiah. And then we can get things moving. We can begin this, this freedom that, that we've all been expecting him to deliver us to. But then, after he betrays him, turns him over to the Pharisees, they turn Jesus over to be executed. And I think in that moment, Jesus is like, whoa, 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 no, wait, wait, wait. That wasn't part of the plan. No, I just wanted you to deal with him so that he could expose himself as the Messiah and, and things could move in the right direction. And suddenly, Judas sees everything unfolding in front of him. Verse 3, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I've sinned, he said. I've betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple, and he left. And then he went away, and he hanged himself. I think there came a point after three years of following Jesus where Judas was just thinking, I know, Jesus, where you should be going, and you're not going in that direction. Your plan and my plan, they don't align. 
I don't want to follow Jesus where you're leading. I don't want to follow Jesus the direction you're going. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to try and force things here. I'm going to turn you over to the religious leaders. You'll rise up as the Messiah. Everything will happen. And then suddenly Peter, or Judas sees it all go horribly wrong. And he witnesses Jesus crucified. So what does that have to do with you and me this morning? How does that affect us? You know, many of us here this morning, we've, we've been following Jesus for a while. And I think for a lot of us, it's great. We love following Jesus. Things are going really well, but there will come a time, if it hasn't come already, there will come a time where there'll be just something, there'll be some tension because, because following Jesus is leading this way, but there's a part of you that just wants to go this way. And you'll feel that tension. And maybe, just maybe like Judas, you'll try and, you'll try and manipulate the situation a bit. You'll try and pull Jesus more in your direction. If Judas were here today, he'd say, don't do it. I tried that and it went horribly, horribly wrong. I wonder if Judas was here and he could have a do-over if he'd say, I wish I'd just trusted Jesus. I wish I'd just stayed the course. I wish I'd continued to just follow him. Because he wants us to follow him. And I'm going to ask you... Just this week, do something really simple, just as we close out this morning. I'm going to say, hey, why don't you this week say, God, what direction are you taking me in my life? Because Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you're taking me. And maybe as you pray that prayer this week, he'll be saying, you are going exactly where you should be going. You keep on keeping on. It's great what you're doing right now. You're making a difference. You're talking to your friends about Jesus. They're getting baptized. It's, it's awesome, the direction you're going in right now. You keep on going in that direction. But for some of us, as we pray that prayer, we may be surprised at the answer. We may feel like Jesus is kind of nudging and saying, no, deep down, you know that's not the best direction for you. Deep down, you know that's not where you should be headed. And it'll be tough. And you might just have to pray, say, God, Jesus, please help me. Not to pull against you, but to submit to your will. To follow you in the direction you're taking me, even if this wouldn't be my first choice. I trust you. I believe you've got my best intention at heart. I believe you know me so well. You've got the greatest life imaginable for me. I want to follow you where you're going. And let's not make the mistake that Judas made. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these wonderful um, people who all got baptized this morning. Every one of them. An amazing story of how they've discovered you, discovered your love for them, and made that decision to follow you. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that you made it so easy for us to follow you. That you came and met us where we were at instead of expecting us to, to climb all the way up or to fix everything or to change everything or to you know, clean everything up before we could come to you. You, you came and met us where we were at. But Jesus, because you love us so much, you didn't leave us where we were at. You led us in a new direction. And for some of us, we've been thrilled at the changes we've seen in our lives. But for other of us, Lord, maybe we've come to that point where, where we feel like you're leading us in one direction. And we just we want to go in a different direction. And it's hard. Jesus, even if it's hard, please help us, Lord, to have the faith to follow you. And not take matters into our own hands. Not try and force you in a different direction. Because we don't want to have the same kind of outcome that Judas had. So show us the way you would have us go. In Jesus' name, amen.